Welcome to the True Sports Physical Therapy Podcast with your host, Dr. Yoni Rosenblatt. In this episode, we're joined again by the expert creator of our ACL rehab course, Dr. Tim Stone. Today, we take a deep dive into the what, why, and how of knee extension post-ACL surgery, uncovering the critical importance of achieving full knee extension during the rehabilitation process. Dr. Stone's insights are based on his remarkable track record in rehabilitating some of the world's top athletes in their ACL recovery journey. Let's jump right in. Welcome back to the True Sports Physical Therapy Podcast. We got Dr. Timothy Michael Stone back with us, piggybacking on our previous conversation on this awesome True Sports ACL rehab course uh, that we just launched. I wanted to dive in a little bit more clinically and talk about some of the import in getting terminal knee extension and why that is at times such a struggle and also why it's so important. So let's break it down a little bit. Why is knee extension so important after an ACL reconstruction? So uh, extension in general is important just because it's a normal function of the knee. And in most cases, hyperextension is normal. Um, and so restoring normal C in the knee or normal anatomy or normal range of motion should be the, you know, the up, of utmost importance after any post-operative issue, uh, post-operative surgery rehab, excuse me, at any joint. So it, it's just important because it's, it's what we're supposed to do, um, in terms of it being important. So immediate after surgery, that is due to the difficulty in regaining it later down the track. And so it's important to regain, regain that motion. So early on, because we only have a short window to be able to do that. Yeah. When did you realize that knee extension is so important in ACL rehab? Probably. I think I would say after my first experience, having to send someone for a knee scope that wasn't regaining extension, um, that happened, you know, probably within the first, couple of months as the worst it's the worst yeah it's the worst feeling as a pt because it's it's something that i i feel like you know in my soul is like my sole responsibility for a patient if there's one thing i have to hold myself accountable is making sure they get full knee hyperextension back and so I, i think having to make that call is is tough but in making that call and going through that procedure, you give that um, rehab new life and you give that patient the ability to get back on track. And so I think after doing that, I, you know, wrote that down. Don't ever let anyone not get full extension back, but secondarily, you know, appreciate the fact that you're, you're humble enough or that you're, you're able to sort of like see when it's not going the way that you want it, make a change. And then get them back on track. Yeah. How do you define terminal extension in the knee? So I think there's there's both passive and active components to the terminal knee extension. Um, so if we're just talking about it from the sagittal plane perspective, it's basically as like far as the knee will straighten or go beyond, you know, straight. So most people have some level of hyperextension. Um in their knee. And so just regaining that full hyper extension is what we're talking about. So important. So I would define that passively. So if you're grabbing the heel, pinning the thigh down, drawing that heel all the way up while the thigh doesn't move, it's basically like how much, um, 
you know, how far you can go before you run into that, um, I would get classified that as a, as a hard end feel. So once that, that, what should be a hard end feel, yeah. you know, um, so that's probably where I would classify it passively actively. Then it's what can your quadriceps do to produce the extension or hyperextension. Yeah. And I think lastly, the tidbit would be like, from an active perspective would be, you know, what role is the hamstring having in chain altering or not altering the ability to achieve hyperextension? Yeah. Okay. So as a uh, disclaimer, we're going to get super granular here about knee extension. Tell me what you want the kneecap to be doing um, during terminal extension. Yeah. So um, the, we really want that patella to glide superiorly you know, or, or up the hip. Okay. And so as you squeeze quadricep or, you know, even as you passively do that, the patella should slide up superiorly towards the, um, hip joint, um, to achieve full extension. Okay. And then you were talking sagittal plane. Talk to me about the screw home mechanism and when you start, when you start worrying about that or how that plays into your interventions. Yeah. So I think typically that's, you know, the last few, or it's, not typically it is the last degrees of extension or, or hyperextension. And so that's when the tibia from an open chain perspective is externally rotating, um, through the last few degrees of extension. Okay. So if someone has a lack of extension, typically like they'll go through sagittal plane extension as far as it can, but you know, if they're missing a few degrees, it's really that like lockout mechanism or that external rotation of the tibia on femur that's lacking. Yeah. And so when we're talking passively, we know the tibia needs to externally rotate on femur in order to achieve terminal extension. We know that patella needs to migrate superiorly um, to get out of the way of tib maybe as it heads towards hip so that the knee can fully lock out. Um, And then you have the soft tissue variables that could prevent it from reaching terminal extension. You mentioned hamstring. Um, Perhaps it's too tight. Perhaps there's too much swelling in the knee that's preventing it from getting to that terminal extension. Anything else the clinician and there, therefore the patient should worry about in terms of preventing? Um, in terms of preventing? Preventing knee terminal knee extension, yeah. Yeah, so um, some other issues that can prevent it would be the development of scar tissue, like that inferior pole of the patella. Um, so if, if that occurs, and typically that occurs from a lack of motion frequency after surgery that'll start to develop that sort of binds to that you know inferior portion of the patella and then both actively and passively won't allow the patella to glide superiorly so if you feel that stiffness just medial and lateral to patella tendon after um an acl reconstruction you're getting into that like danger zone of, of sort of developing too much scar tissue to um, then prevent that process of terminal knee extension. Yeah. And it's important to highlight all these things because from this potential problem list is how we try to approach ticking those things off, making sure everything is functioning appropriately so that they can get terminal knee extension. So to sum that up, you need to have an external rotation of tibia on femur to get the lock home. You need patella to glide superiorly so that they can achieve terminal knee extension. That means the patellar tendon needs to be free enough to allow the patella to glide superiorly, passively and actively. Um, And that would get into potentially scar tissue formation or stiffness at that inferior pole. 
uh, which is going to prevent it from sliding up north superiorly. Um, and then you got swelling, and then you got hamstring tightness. I think there's one hit other it. What thing what I missed? Didn't add in there. The, the only reason why I didn't really add this one in so much is because this one's a little bit more out of our hands, and that's um, the the placement of the graft. Fascinating. So, um, you know, and and the the pathology that that occurs when there's you know an inability to produce extension or, or terminal knee extension um, with an with, with a graft that's not placed ideally yeah. um, is often what, what we call a cyclops lesion, which is basically like um, every time you bring the knee into hyperextension, it sort of pinches the front of that graft. And yeah. so if you continuously do that over time, that that tissue sort of like builds up around the graft and, graft and then uh, limits the extension more. So what you'll see in that case is you'll work really, really hard in a session to get uh, terminal knee extension. The patient's complaining of anterior knee pain when you're doing that. So it's not posterior stuff like capsule or hamstring. Um, and then what you'll see is the extension actually like progressively gets worse after that. So maybe you get them off the table, you do a few exercises to get them back on the table, check it out again. It's pretty, it's either gone back to where it was when they walked in, or it may even be worse because you're causing like inflammation and you're, you know, there's a painful response and things like that. And so between sessions, every time they come back in, you just don't see the progress in that, like, um, in that terminal knee extension sticking. Then you're thinking potentially something intraarticular by way of a cyclops lesion yeah. or some t other type of arthrofibrosis where they're laying down too much scar tissue yeah. due to the trauma in the knee. Okay. So lock home mechanism, tibia has got to rotate externally. Mm -hmm. Patel has got to slide superiorly. Uh, patellar tendon has to be free of any adhesions or stiffness so that it can glide smoothly north. Hamstrings have to have enough length to them to allow this to transpire. Um, and then we got to hope the surgeon did their job appropriately, put the graft in the right place so that Cyclops lesion doesn't form or more scar tissue, simply put, isn't further laid down, right? Those are all the things that could be affecting your terminal knee extension. And like you open the pod with terminal knee extension is the number one focus of that beginning stage of rehab. It's something we obsess over. It's something a lot of the docs are stressing. Um, and because of that, does that color when you want that patient to come into you? Yeah, a thousand percent. So we typically want to see that patient pre-op for sure. Um, teach them what the home ex program looks like Love to it. regain the extension. Um, I find those patients have you know, as long as they go into surgery looking pretty good, mm -hmm. um, they, they have much less issues um, regaining the extension after. So that's a huge one. Um, I think then post-op, we're looking day one. You know, some docs aren't necessarily like okay with that. What I'll find though is if you have a doc that's sending them two weeks or even a week later, you can normally negotiate with them a little bit. And so if you see them within that like zero to three day scope, I'm usually not you know, super terrified, um, depending on how they've been sitting for those three days. But, you know, if you can pre-op for at least a couple of weeks and then post-op day one's, you know, ideal. And, and that's exactly what we're doing. First day post-op is just letting that knee sit into hyperextension, see if you can squeeze quad and see if you can gain that um, extension actively. Terminal extension. Okay. I'm going to play the role of conservative surgeon. I'm going to play the role of a surgeon who's doing the same surgery and same rehab protocol that I've been doing for the last 20 years. And I'm going to say to Dr. Tim Stone, 
the knee just went through massive trauma. It, anyone who has not seen an ACL reconstruction in the OR, I highly encourage it. It is brutal, dude. They are ripping that tendon, that middle third tendon, if they're getting a BTB, out of the knee. It's not brain surgery. They're not very uh, subtle. They're not very gentle. They're ripping it out. They're cutting out a piece of bone from patella. They're cutting out a piece of bone from tibia. They're taking that graft, walking to the back of the room, cutting it up, or in this instance, I'm cutting it up, sizing it appropriately and slinging it back through the knee. The knee is swollen. The knee is angry. They're on pain meds. Tim, tell me why I should send this patient into you so rapidly. I'm worried they're in so much pain. Yeah. So first of all, I think the relationship that you have with the surgeon is the most important part here. So spitting a bunch of facts from research papers, this and that, you know, is, is just not going to yield the response or result that you want because you're going into an argument with someone who's putting their guard up immediately that has been doing something for, for a long time. And, and quite often, you know, um, feels as though maybe they have a better idea about how this should go than you. Always. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Always. So the relationship building portion of um, that, that team approach between um, PT and surgeon is the best way to encourage the surgeon to let you see them earlier. If they trust what you've done with their patients in the late stages of rehab, they're also going to be much more likely to trust you with their patients early. Okay, so if that's probably first and mostly the only way that they're ever going to agree to it. So develop the relationship first. Once you have the relationship and you're trying to like broach that subject with them, um, I'll say like we typically see them so they know that we're already doing it. We're not trialing this for, for the first time ever. And then two, what I'll do is kind of walk them through what that day might look like. Okay, so, you know, it's super low intensity. All we're going to do is unwrap the knee see how it goes into extension, make sure the brace is fitting well, um, and see if they can buy their quad, answer any questions for them that you were not able to answer post-op, and and then send them on their way with a little bit of a homework program. Yeah, um, I think that's really valuable. How about to the patient? Um, I get a lot of nervous parents who are like, a bomb just went off in my kid's knee. Um, can I allow them to recuperate at home for a week or two before I bring them in. Yeah. So um, I think this has changed the more confident I get in this process. And and two, I think the, the, the greater of a reputation in your area that you get for doing this will help you broach that subject too. So I think um, early on patients are coming to you just either from a referral from the physician or maybe they found you on Google. So they don't really like, they might question a little bit more. I think now I feel like this for both you and I, for the most part, most people know somebody that came to us that, and that's the reason why they're in here and they already have a really positive like view of, of, of what we do. Um, and so it's easier to approach that subject from a clinical perspective. So you can give them the tidbits on why it's important and this and that, and they're, they're open to that. Um, again, if, if you don't have the report, like if you don't have that initial like setup, and they're new to you. I think you're you're trying to gain as much trust as you can in the first thirty minutes. Sure, you know that you meet them if that's that's pre-op or if you're you're on the phone. I think again, saying we do this frequently or we see that patients that come in to us early and do and regain that extension do better. 
But from a sales perspective, what I'm selling to them is this is an opportunity to come in and ask all the questions that you didn't get to ask post up because it's going to feel so much different than whatever you thought it was going to prior to uh, the, the surgery. And, and now you're, you're going to have 10 questions. So come in, we'll, we'll just have a look at the knee. Um, we'll, we'll see how you're, you're feeling. And then you can ask me 45 minutes of yeah. questions. And then basically they typically will agree to that. Then when they come in for that, they ask questions and while they're asking questions, I'll start to like slowly broach the subjects of, Hey, can we take a look at it? Yeah. Hey, can you squeeze your quad? Like, Hey, can we put your heel up on here? Yeah. And sort of like go that route. Yeah. I think also some of the things that I I've seen that have worked have been, um, talking about getting in early, but not just early, getting in early and getting in often. And so I want those appointments scheduled before surgery. So hopefully you're talking to them before surgery and it's, I want to see you post up day one. You're probably not even going to remember the session because you're, you're still somewhat recovering, but we have seen time and again, that the quicker we get that extension and hold it and maintain it, that we get a tremendous amount of success. And that, if, if we swing and miss or we give in to the fact that you're going to wake up miserable and not want to come into rehab, we're going to set ourselves back in month nine, in month six, in month three, because your knee isn't towards terminal extension. The last thing we want, therapist, patient, parent, is to have to go through this again with a second surgery. And so the way we limit that, the way we, we try to decrease that chance is by getting in post-op day one. Um, I've seen that kind of work. Okay, so back clinically, um, you mentioned that it's awesome to see these patients beforehand and to give them a home exercise program of when they open their eyes post-op. What is that home exercise program that you think is so vital? Um, so it's, it's really simple. Um, if you're interested in the specifics and how and what to do it, it will be in our course that we're, um, that we've just put out. So, um, you can find it there. Um, but essentially it's a, um, three step approach to regaining active hyperextension. So there it's a progressive approach to the exercise. Phase one is using a strap to initiate passive terminal knee extension, and then just squeezing the quad. Phase two is using the strap to uh, get passive extension, hyperextension, squeezing the quad, letting the strap go so that you can see if you can maintain that end range contraction. And then phase three is just without the strap, all active hyperextension. So that's the active component of our homework. Our patients will do a variation of all three of those phases based on what they look like day one. Um, they'll do that 150 times. Um, until they're able to um, independently walk. Okay, and so that looks like five different sessions throughout the day of three sets of 10. So your most generic strength mm -hmm. and conditioning piece because it's easy for patients to remember. And um, and, and they're going to do one, two, or th phase three based on what, what their, the appropriateness is for them right there. Okay, that's the active component. We talk about the passive component, which we actually do bef before. Um, we do uh, a thing called a heel prop. And so what that is, is just the patient laying on the table uh, or laying on their couch or laying on their floor and then elevating their heel, but with nothing under their leg from the point of their heel to their hip. Okay, so that might be laying on the couch with your foot up on the armrest of the couch. So you kind of create this like slanted bridge. Um, 
or laying on the carpet with your foot up on a foam roller, or if you're in the clinic laying on the table or the plinth with your heel up on the foam roller. So that is our low load, long duration stretch. We prescribe that also five times a day initially, and they're going to do that for 15 minutes with a bag of ice on top of the leg. So gravity over time is going to just stretch that posterior capsule out a little, out a little bit, stretch that hamstring out a little bit and allow that knee to sink down in a very non-intense manner um, over that 15 minute period. It's super imperative that you do that five times a day because we need to accumulate a minimum of 60 minutes total for a low load, long duration stretch to really help. Now, if you've done it beforehand, like if you've done this program beforehand and you go to it afterwards, you probably don't need to get anything out of the low load, long duration stretch, right? The tissues haven't tightened up on you yet. And so you can have a conversation with the patient about maybe doing a little bit less there, but it's an easy exercise. There's, you know, no brain work or, or anything that goes into it. You can fall asleep while you're doing it. So we sort of keep both those things. So that's the passive first. And then we'll do the um, active components second. And there's one more that I'll throw in there right before you go ahead and do that active portion and right after you do the passive portion. So that's self patella mobe. And so we'll teach the patients how to find the border of their patella. And then really in the first week, I think that it's quite difficult to self-teach a um, inferior and superior glide of the patella just because portal holes are typically like right next to those lower borders of patella where it's like you're just not going to get them to squish that and then like shove it up their leg mm -hmm. um so we'll teach inferior where you just cup the border of the superior portion of the patella and just kind of glide it down um towards the ankle and then probably most easily you know this doesn't sort of like meet that directional preference like in terms of increasing extension but just that medial and lateral glide of the patella is helpful in just like uh one keeping things mobile but two like moving swelling around and all those kinds of things um and just sort of like freeing up that um uh that patella from any of that tissue that we kind of talked about earlier so it doesn't develop any of that like infrapatella scar tissue so it's passive extension or hyperextension. 60 minutes yep 60 minutes minimum with the low load long duration stretch or the heel prop then patella mobs okay that one i didn't mention how long we do there also five times a day and we just do like two to three minutes there followed by active hyperextension which is our three phase approach to regaining full active hyperextension and that's 150 quad squeezes a day so here's why i love that because it directly addresses all of the factors we opened with that can limit terminal knee extension, which are hamstring length, right? The screw hole mechanism and clearing space between that patellar tendon and tibia. That is all accomplished with your heel prop. Um, it addresses patellar mobility. Another reason we said you might be missing terminal extension that is aided with your patellar mobs, obviously is um, the antidote for that. Um, as well as the active insufficiency. So using the quadriceps to pull that patella where it should be superiorly placing it there. And then if they get a good quad set, that will also help with that screw hole mechanism. The prone prop will also help with that hamstring length issue we may or may not have. And now you're starting to solve for all of the problems. We just, we just, um, 
delineated at the beginning of the conversation, right? And so that's why it's so important. It's super direct. It's three interventions. It's exactly how many reps, how many sets, how long you're holding it for. All of that is beautifully spelled out. Hopefully they get that and you have met them before visit one post-op. If not, they have to get it in that initial visit. And that's why that initial visit has to be so soon. That's why we can't wait one to two weeks because that sucker will bind down and then we're behind the eight ball. Um, so, so that makes a tremendous amount of sense. Yeah. The last thing that we didn't talk about in there that we spoke about earlier was the swelling or the inflammation portion. Each one of those drills or exercises um, that or activities that you're going to do five times a day will yeah. help reduce that. So the elevation portion of the heel prop and will the ice. help. Yep. Yeah, and the ice will help some of that inflammation. The patella mobs by getting things moving around, yeah. they're shifting the swelling um, from a mechanical perspective or physically will 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 help um, get that swelling reabsorbed. And then finally, that active muscle contraction brings blood flow to the area and helps, help, will help clear that that area of swelling. So, you know, that's a huge portion of gaining that knee hyperextension too and a byproduct of all the things that that we're doing. And so going to go back to your, your, your question about like, um, you know, how can you sort of convince people? Yeah. Everybody knows that swelling is bad. So yep. if you're the patient or you're the physician, you want to get rid of that quickly. These are real mechanisms in which you can do that without having to take medications and things like that. And so if we can decrease swelling, we're going to decrease pain. We're going to increase function. So that sometimes is a really good sticking point. Parents are really always concerned with like what the knee looks like yep. and how like swell swollen it is or how fat it is yeah. so using that as a as a strategy to kind of convey why it's so important to do this exercise will also help yeah and and stacking these interventions i have found to be uh really positive so that they're able to do the quad sets let's say while it's pro while it's propped yes with a supine prop now you're teaching the knee how to function you're increasing recruitment of quadriceps while the knee is where you need it to be how do they usually cheat say that again how do patients usually cheat the prop exercise when you're propping up on the, yeah. on the foam roller? Yeah. So, the, so there's a couple of ways. And I, I think which patients will do that. They'll sort of like roll their foot out to the side or to the inside. And so now that like direct line of, of gravity is not really going to that like posterior capsule might be going like that posterior lateral side or that posterior medial side, or it's only hitting like one group of the, the hamstrings yep. there. So that's probably like, um, the biggest way from a passive perspective that that will that will happen the only other thing i could think of and i'll see this sometimes is when you show them how to do this like a lot of people will use that like triangle bolster to yep. do this and they'll say like yeah my foot's like elevated and it's straight but that surface and having like the calf and hamstring on top of that surface really doesn't give the same sort of like um force down through the knee so whilst that might help with with swelling that retrograde like um effect of having the heel elevated it doesn't really help produce like the mechanical stretch in the capsule or the hamstring so those are two biggest pieces i see there yeah so i i always coach you want those toes facing the ceiling yeah. right make sure they don't fall out make sure it's not coming from the hip right um so that they can really live in the knee and explaining to the patient you're not gonna like this it's not comfortable push through it there is no damage that is transpiring in the knee joint. It's also an important point to the doc. One of the things I say to patients and to the doctor is whatever we're going to ask your knee to do over the next few weeks, 
your surgeon did to you before you opened your eyes and woke up. So they slammed you all the way into flexion. They pulled you all the way into extension with way more force than we're going to provide over the next few months. It didn't bother your ACL. This won't bother your ACL either. And that's why you need to see us right away. Some of the other things that I'm seeing far more readily accessible is use of uh, intermittent cold compression. And so um, while Game Ready is out there, We've worked closely with a company called Proventus that will allow you to, number one, use your insurance to get a home compression unit, um, and two, cycle on and off of that cold um, so that you can actually sleep in this device while it's extended, keep the compression. So just food for thought, look into that. Uh, another piece is getting them a home stim unit before surgery is the ideal, is the gold standard. because. I don't want to waste your time in the clinic doing things that you can do on your own. If you can get this home stim unit, let it run. It's going to help your quad contraction. It's going to help with swelling. It's going to help with a million different things. Insurance covers it. So put it through your insurance if that's a concern. See if you can do that extra legwork for your patient. It's going to help you, the therapist, because now you have so much more time in clinic to work on that. And so that brings me to my next question. When they come in, what types of manual interventions are you doing to try to achieve terminal knee extension? Yeah. So uh, honestly, if it goes the way I want it to go, not a lot. Not a like lot. I'm just checking to see if things are going the way that I, I want them to go. So like, as soon as they come in, I find the easiest way to like doff a brace or take the brace off is to put their heel up on a foam roller anyway. So I'll just do that. And then as I'm undressing the knee and and taking and taking the brace off, they're getting a good three minutes of sitting in that extension. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of how I kill birds, two birds with one stone there. Um, and then if I, you know, if we look at it and it's symmetrical to the other knee, I, I might, you know, test the end feel a little bit, but, but that's really about it because it shouldn't be this like process where it's not like the surgery is reducing hyperextension, right? It's the post-operative care that reduces hyperextension. That's a really important point. Right. And so if you don't, if you get them doing it early enough, you don't have to do anything really, except for coach on like making sure it's still there. Same thing with patellomobe. So that's what I'll go to next. I'll then put their heel down onto the table and I'll just check the mobility of the patella. Again, if you've been doing it frequently enough, there's nothing to do from a manual perspective, except for check that it's still moving. All right. So again, like the thing that's going to reduce patella mobility is that like infrapatella um, scar tissue or swelling. So if you've done it right and you've re you're, you're reducing swelling and they haven't developed that infrapatella scar tissue because they've been moving it or because you, you know, you moved it um, the day before, again, you, you don't have to spend 20 minutes on patella modes, you'll just say like, yes, it goes left. Yes, it goes yeah. right. Yes, it goes up. Yes, it goes down. Move on. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so really like those are the main manual pieces. Now, if you get someone that is two weeks post up yeah, or two weeks post up, still in that window where you can still achieve it, but they haven't achieved it yet. Here's where we get pretty like heavy with this stuff. Yep. Right. So um, we're doing something what we that we call and and I would say this is a this is just like a mechanical, like from a manual perspective, it's more of a passive exercise, but we're attaching like weights to the knee or applying manual overpressure, um, to, to like increase to the, to the femur for the most part to try to increase that hyperextension. Yeah. I just don't like getting in that 
portion if I don't have to, if I get yep. them early enough. Another reason to get them in early enough. Secondarily, we may um, flip them on their stomach, have them come down the table and into that prone hang position. Now, whilst I don't love these post-operative initially because there are so many ways to cheat, we mentioned those rolling rolling so it's going through your hip or rolling so it's not going like directly down through the through the leg. Um, I do like this post-op for someone that's having some issues with that, like that posterior capsule that's tightening up or a little bit of that hamstring. So I'll sort of like um, straddle like the, their heel and then squeeze it between my, their heel between my knees and I'll apply some down pressure. So basically I just squat down while I'm, I have one hand up um, on their lower back so I can prevent that hip from popping up when I push the heel down. From there with my other hand, I'm just using my fist to kind of like glide through all those posterior structures. So capsule and, and hamstring basically, um, you know, with, with some uh, with some lotion to try to like increase uh, some of that extension. So um, that could be a really good way to, to increase extension for someone that's having like uh, some guarding. So yep. if they have some hamstring guarding that's going on, I find that really helps helps a lot. And And what I think is important there is you need to be more like a sniper here than a carpet bomber. You, in order for you to pop them on their stomach, you need to know or at least come up with a reason why you're doing that. And if you think it's posteriorly mediated, so it's hamstrings or it's posterior capsule, that would be when you do that and you pop them on their stomach. It's a great opportunity to use Graston. Um, maybe you're needling hamstrings, stuff like that. But you have to be sure that it's coming posteriorly. Otherwise, you're wasting your time. If their issue is patellar mobility, right. you've just wasted your whole session. Right. And so you need to assess in the entire conversation. And as you unwrap the knee, like you said, sh that's your assessment portion to try to figure out what am I going to use my time most effectively to address um, because, because you've assessed it appropriately so i yeah. think that's great i can't tell you how many times like someone will change pts come to us and they've had an extension issue and like majority of their homework is like hamstring stretches yep. well i'm like that's not the problem you're it never got tight like yep. where is it how is it getting to a shortened position you're not in knee like over 90 degrees in knee flexion so it never really got shorter it's it's you know more related to that like stiff yep, knee in the front, yep. right like you have this ginormous like ball of tissues or like next to your patella tendon that's limiting it so yep. any amount of uh hamstring doesn't matter not going to address that it's not going to address that um and that's why i thought it was interesting you didn't mention yep three rounds of 30 second hamstring stretches if that's not the problem um so you got to figure out what is it that's limiting this patient i can't tell you how many times i've had patients come in and tell me yeah i've been doing quad sets i've been doing straight leg raises well, the, the issue isn't quad recruitment, right. it's posterior, right? And so like, you're not, you're not addressing the problem that they're showing you. Um, one last piece that I think is important, let me go, you go. Um, is we just mentioned patellar mobility and patellar mobilization. Number one, remember, you're trying to get the patella to move and the structures around the patella, the retinaculum to elongate. So just floating it, flipping it back and forth, that is not addressing a stiffness issue. You want to put that patella at end range and hold it there. You want to hit various angles of your mobility and mobilization and hold it there so you can force that tissue to change. Don't just flip that patella back and forth. And don't forget the, the patellar tendon itself has to move right? So maybe your thumbs aren't placed on the lateral border of the patella. Maybe it's placed on the lateral border 
of the teller tendon. Let's make sure that that's gliding appropriately too. Remember, it just went through hell and back by having the middle third of that belly ripped out. So the patellar tendon also has to move. That is worthwhile utilizing your time in session if you have deemed it to be hypomobile. So I think that was along the same lines of my question is those two scenarios that we just gave, either hamstring flexibility or it's posterior capsule stiffness mm -hmm. or anterior knee stiffness. How do you check which one it is? I think you gave a good description on basically how you check through the treatment of on the anterior side. So how do you check for hamstring if it's a hamstring issue? Yeah, great question. So if it is a hamstring issue, in my mind, they're going to have a lot of trouble um, getting towards knee flex, getting towards knee extension passively, right? Because the tissue is just tight. So, and they're going to feel that restriction posteriorly. So if I'm slamming them into knee extension, so I've got my superior hand placed inferior patella or sorry, superior patella, or maybe it's just inferior patella encouraging a posterior glide as I pull up, like you described on distal tibia, if they're not able to get terminal extension there and they feel a massive tug in the back of their knee, I'm thinking hamstring. Okay. And, and if they have good patellar mobility, um, it's very, it's akin to, and I see this time and again, if they don't have passive motion, they're never going to have active motion. It's, right? It doesn't make any impossible. sense. It's impossible. So, so very similarly, if I'm pulling them into that terminal extension and they can't get it and the restriction is felt posteriorly, there's not pinching up front. There's not, um, there's not stiffness felt inferior to patella, but it's all posteriorly. Then I'm thinking, okay, this is hamstring. If I pop them on their stomach and they're in a severe amount of flex flexion, Again, what's being tensioned there? It's the posterior knee. I'm thinking hamstring. I miss anything there? No, I think I think you hit the nail on the head. I, I would just say on top of that, it's just a harder thing to yep. to check. I yep. think so. That anterior stiffness e easy to yep. see if it's that right. Just place your fingers on there. I think the, that hamstring is is a little bit more more difficult to check. But all those things are super helpful. Um, the other things that I'll cue into is um, what's what's their resting position. So if they like, I don't know, for some reason, occasionally we'll see someone come in with like a brace that's been a lot. I see that a lot. Like yep. locked to thirty degrees. Or it's uh, lo that, locked that, to thirty degrees. Right. Yes, you're absolutely right. Or the brace just isn't sitting right. right. Or right. they're falling asleep right. with an inflection. I mean, those braces do not hold them in terminal extension. It prevents flexion. Right. It's not holding them in terminal extension. The athlete is going to die to find that slight knee bend. So just make sure that it's placed appropriately. That's why the supine hang is so important. I'll tell you one thing I feel like that has helped me regaining hyperextension is the ability to effectively manipulate and fix a brace that's not fitting properly. Yep. I think it's like an underappreciated skill to have to get someone in to um not just grab the front of the straps and just rip them across yeah. so that the joints like end up on top of their yep. knee but to be able to tighten it evenly from the back you know and then evenly from the front so that it's like firm and snug but those like uh the the joints or the center points um on the brace sit like right at the center point of the knee and then also on top of that i'll occasionally add um, a folded up towel at that last strap underneath the heel which will 
elevate them within the brace into a slight bit of hyperextension and i'm locking their brace at negative 10 yeah, degrees of hyperextension that's a big deal. not zero degrees and they never come in like that no never come in like that usually they come in and their brace is at zero and they have an ice pack that's strapped to their leg on top of all of this material that they have surrounding their knee and none of the straps hurt because uh, none of the straps fit because when they got home, they hurt. So they loosened them up. Yep. And every time they put on and take off the brace, they don't unclip it. They change the length of the strap. So being able to communicate how important it is to only take off like the unbuckling portion of it. So the length of the straps remains right. But then also being able to execute like a really good brace fitting has really like helped, um, you know, uh, prevent some yeah. of those like flexion issues. There's nothing worse getting your session. You've talked about all this stuff. You put the brace back on, they crutch out, and you can just see them crutching out with like Inflection. 10 degrees of knee flexion. It's awful. No question. And so those Bledsoe joints um, that you described, it's not a great measurement. So it's definitely not minus 10 degrees. Um, and zero is probably 10 degrees of flexion, right. right? And so putting them there and making sure that that brace fits appropriately. And, you know, if there are any MAs or, or PAs that are listening to this, please put that blood cell at minus five, I think it's five, maybe it's 10, minus 10 degrees. So at least it's trying its best to hold it in terminal extension. That's the only purpose of the brace. Um, okay, when are you um, pushing the panic button and calling the doctor to say, hey, this is too stiff? Yeah, so I think um, I'm communicating once a week with the physician. Um, I might even just drop at the end of the email like, no need to reply just so you're not blowing them up and and haven't you know them think you're the most annoying pc ever but i'm just giving them an uh, an update on what they hit okay so by two weeks if they're not getting it then the doc knows that this is going to be it's a little bit slower um but there's some pretty good research out there that says if you don't get it by six weeks at 12 weeks, you don't have it. Yep. And at 12 weeks, if you don't have it, you're never going to get it. So at six weeks, I'm sending the, the email saying, hey, look, we're going to carry on. But I just want to let you know, like, I'm probably sending this person back to you within the next like week or so for you to assess it. Maybe try something or we're ordering, um, you know, a low load, long duration device that will hold them in that for that extension position for a long period of time. But most likely this is person you know, I don't even know what the research is. If you don't have, have it at six weeks, like you ain't getting it. Yeah. <laughs> you're just and, not getting it. You're not getting it. And if I've seen them from day one, I would say I would do it sooner. I Like that doctor needs to hear from me that yeah. I'm really worried about it at three weeks. Yeah. Um, and then let me ask you this. What are you hoping the doc does? So they're going to order a splint. What else can they do? Scope it. Scope it. <laughs> Get in there before it's too late. Right. So we've seen a ton of success with airing on the side of a scope. Um, other things that I've seen work, I don't know if it worked, but the patient made it out was prescribing a medral dose pack. Um, maybe that helps. I've seen some, some doctors um, inject a knee with cortisone. I uh, recently did an, an awesome um, interview, I thought, um, with Dr. Bassett up in Jersey, right? She talked about draining the knee almost routinely and at their first follow-up visit. So you're talking like a week post-op, they go back to the doc, she's pulling all the fluid out so we can get to the terminal knee extension. I haven't seen any other doc doing it, but she had a crazy statistic of I think having zero. Yeah, I thought that was awesome. 
lyses of yeah and and so that that is just awesome um when you're waffling ugh, should they go back in i know you said how painful it is for you to send the email saying they don't have terminal knee extension but it works when they go back in yeah. and they do a lysis it works and it, so so do it sooner rather than later and and fight for your patient that's what this whole thing is about i just had this conversation with a with a pa where his patients were suffering because he was waffling we need to take the ego throw it aside get your ass back into that knee and scope it if necessary or some type of intervention don't just let them flail and hope it gets better i think that's fine for your gen pop it's not for the athlete yeah i would say yeah we're hit you're trying to get the littlest nittiest grittiest things back because it's going to make a, a massive difference massive. for them so i would say on top of that you know don't be surprised if the doc wants to wait for 10 to 12 weeks for things to just settle down and for that knee to heal yep. um i i don't i don't know if like it's more appropriate or not to go in earlier some docs i talk to say yes and then some docs say they want they don't want to do two surgeries in a short amount of of time just due to like um the same reasons why you don't want to send them into surgery with an angry knee on a nice quiet knee um i don't know in my opinion like it's angry if it's not hitting extension right. there's a lot of inflammation going wrong there's a lot of scar tissue developing it's not going to get less angry um but but i would say too like if you make that email and you send that patient back you better have done what we had talked about before in prepping the the uh, family and prepping the patient and prepping the surgeon that you're going to see this person the next day and you're not even going to see them the next day you're going to see them five days a week until they get that motion back because there's no third surgery yep. there's no antidote after you after you use that option particularly right maybe there is but chances just go down and down now you are getting into this like space where you're just you're in doing too many surgeries so you got to if one, hold yourself accountable to get it there in that first week, possibly the second week. Mm -hmm. Two, if it doesn't get there, be humble enough to reach out and, and send it back. Three, if you make that call, you better freaking know what you want to do afterwards so it doesn't happen again. Because yep. if it happens again and you just sold the parents and you just sold the surgeon on, on doing this for the patient, you you know, you're, you F them. You, yep. you didn't really leave them many options after that. Yeah. I mean, the good news is after a lysis, the protocol and the program is exactly the same. same. It's the same, and except you got to see them that day. Yeah. And then you got to see them five days in a row. Um, you know, quick shout out to one of our favorites, Dr. Dries, because he really taught me that. And, and he called me, I remember, after he had just gone in back into a girl's knee, she was struggling elsewhere in rehab. He called me on a Saturday night and said, hey, right before sundown, on Friday, I went into this girl's knee. What's as soon as you could see her? And I saw her that Saturday night. That That's not me being heroic. That's the doctor saying, I'm sending her to you. You have to see her within 24 hours because this is our window. Um, and so get ready for five days in a row of rehab. And only if she has achieved terminal knee extension, do you then start cutting back on rehab? Right. Um, I think that's, yeah, that that's super important um and and often missed um it's also this pulls me back to the idea and there, there's some good literature on this with the shoulder and how to what is that shoulder i've never heard of it. <laughs> shoulder so when when you're when you're dealing with a the shoulder there's some studies looking at um tendonitis and comparing one cohort of um therapeutic exercise manual therapy, 
and their outcomes, this is following tendonitis, compared to therapeutic exercise, manual therapy, and ultrasound. And the ultrasound group did worse than the other group. Why is that? The reason we think is because it's how you're using your time. If you're wasting eight to 10 minutes waving a wand on someone's shoulder, you're not doing what you should be doing. I say all that to say when it, as it pertains to the knee, don't spend your time doing clamshells and doing straight leg raises and doing lateral band walks. When the problem is extension, because if you spend time doing things that are not extension, you're not spending time doing extension. And that's what they need. If you can't develop glute made strength in a nine month period right. for a joint that hasn't been You'll affected be fine. and you need to start yeah. week one to do it. Like you got to reassess the way that you're going about this thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, contrary to what I think sports PT was saying before is that we want to make them like work out and feel like an athlete again. Well, guess what? They don't feel like an athlete when you rub it in their face on the first week, trying to get them to do these sweaty exercises, like, um, at their hip when it has nothing to do with their knee, you just in like increase the confusion about what's going on. Um, you certainly increase their confusion about, um, about where they're, where they're at in their process and where they think they're at in their yep. process. I'm killing it. I'm sweating. I'm working hard. Like I'm, I'm doing everything I can. You're, you haven't moved the needle from day one on the extension. You haven't gained anything. You haven't worked your way towards those goals. So um, yeah, drop that crap out of there. We don't, <laughs> we don't need that hip stuff early on. We don't need it. You're exactly right. And you're hurting your patient. Um, okay. That's a huge amount on knee extension. I feel like we could do another hour on knee extension. Um, by the way, we jumped to hip to say, Hey, don't spend so much time on the hip. It might be even more poignant to say, don't even waste time on flexion. flexion. Stop working on flexion. Um, you know, I've heard orthopedists question our profession to say, I don't know why these therapists are so focused on flexion when it, you'll get flexion. We need to get extension. Don't spend your time on that, which isn't their problem. Do you, do you have an idea as to where this flexion bias came from? Uh, I think the, I think it's, it's to me, it's just the, um, it just from a broad visual sense at what the knee does, right? If zero degrees of extension is nothing, like yeah. you just think of it as nothing, it's not moved anywhere. That's the resting place of the knee. Then anything that you should be moving in this, in the direction of improvement should be in like the bending category right, because right. like your knees bend. Yeah. Your knees bend. Exactly. We don't think of knees as starting bent and having to get straight. Yep. So I think that's maybe predominantly where like from a, you know, just from a face value that came from, I think, and the reason why I think that too is patients think that, yeah. right? Patients feel feel that it's important to do flexion and and think that that's important. And, and that's just like somebody that doesn't have an understanding of, you know, how, how this thing goes. So yep. um, I think that's, that's probably all I can, maybe it came from like the total knee section, but those people also Ascension. still benefit mostly from regaining extension. Functionally as humans, we can live without, some flexion, but we can't really like function well without full terminal knee extension or has drastic um, uh, implications for the knee. So I think that's where it, it popped up, but I I don't know. I haven't, but we're going to change that. We're hopefully (laughs) going to change that. I think it's, I think that's been debunked. I think it's been changed. I think that shows so many times in research. I think the practical application of it hasn't met what, 
what those um, you know case studies and 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 research has kind of shown. And I don't think we I think we value extension now. I think the, you know the lay PT for the most part now values hyper extension. Maybe not hyperextension yet, but they value extension. But I don't think they understand the um, the scale at which you should work on extension to yeah. flexion, or sorry, the ratio in which you should you should do that. Yeah. Right. So you know. I'm a firm believer of all range of motion should be a lot early. So I do think you should work on flexion a lot. But if someone were to say, well, like if I have 24 hours in a day and you you want to split that out, like how should I split it up working on extension versus flexion? I would say you should work 20 hours a day on extension. And you should work four hours a day on your flexion. Like that's probably a good yep. ratio right there. I don't think in a 45 minute session or in a 15 minute session, depending on what PT clinic you're at, yeah. we're appropriately like, um dose waiting it yeah, yeah which one we do more of yeah yeah um and no, i think there's a huge amount of value there okay if you don't know how to get extension after this conversation <laughs> find us on instagram we'll show you or download our course um because we'll definitely show you um and and there are even some some more nuances and tricks that that you'll get from taking our course as to how to get extension because it's not always smooth sailing you have to have so many tricks to get that athlete where you need to get them. Um, but just make sure that that home exercise program is 100% extension um, early on. Okay. The Eric Cressy lightning round. What rehab pods are you listening to, Tim? Oh, rehab pods. Rehab I'm pods. Listening to right now. I actually stepped away from the rehab pod. What are you game. listening to? You put me on Huberman okay. recently. So it's trying to regrow one. my hair. I got that currently. from. I am too. Uh, <laughs> don't, let, don't let that. Um, make you think that Huberman's not good at what he does. Okay, so Huberman Lab podcast. I learned about that from Cookie Carr, um, another Stanford resident. So that's where she found him. Um, what book are you in the middle of? Um, the book that I am in um, the middle of on Audible right now, I think I just opened a new one. Yeah, it's what was it? $100 million offers, I think it is. Um, Alex Homozi. Sure. Um, so that's more on the business side of things. Um, that's Le good. Leisure, leisurely, I just finished um, Green Lights by McConaughey. Was that good? Great book. Really? Awesome book. Here's Glad my struggle. He's an actor. So what's he teaching me? Um, he, I, I don't know. He's the narrator in the book. Uh, I don't know if I learned a lot of life lessons from the book. I so what do you really learn? I from a, from a self-help. So what do you learn? Uh, he's a baller. He's a baller. Yeah. He's, okay. He's so... You know, I shouldn't judge him by his profession, although he's at the top, very top of that profession. He's got a good life lessons and he's lived a good life. I should read it is what you're telling me. Yeah, for sure. For sure. On on the clinical side of things, yes. I think if I were to rate my favorite yes. podcast from, from a um, rehab perspective, um, contrary to popular belief, this would not be my favorite. Go. Just because I can't listen to you anymore. <laughs> I've already listened to you all week. Yeah. Um, but... Um, I think my favorite one is a journal of arthroscopy podcast. Cool. I think they, it's, you know, to, to give some critical feedback, it's a little dry, right? It's, it's not an entertainment show, um, particularly, but I've learned so much about, you know, the nuance of, of particularly ACL surgery, you know, um, it's not just sticking a graft yeah. into the knee. Like there's so much going on in terms of like the meniscus or different techniques to doing that as easy as different graph selections, uh, how ALLs will implicate the rehab of, of, of a knee and, and all those kinds of things. So um, I just learned a lot from a 
you know, I think you got to go back as far as you can to kind of move forward to understand like why things are happening in our world. So um, that one I think is, is my favorite like medical podcast. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. Um, I got to spend more time on that. What's the biggest difference between us and Australian physios? I never practiced as an Australian physio. So um, I would be taking, but you are an Australian physio. Oh no, I'm an American. You're an American. I'm an American. Okay, but you're also Aussie. I, I think, did. You have to renounce your citizenship. Absolutely not. Absolutely no, not. Okay. Allies. Okay, allies. I like that. <laughs> yes. Um, fighting the good fight. So, what would you say the biggest difference in terms of the way PT is practiced here versus down under? Yeah. So I think from from what I see, I think um, you know it's a, it's it it's model based on their healthcare system a lot. So you know it's more of a socialized like medicine um, approach. So. Um, for one, it's quite difficult to get in to see a specialist. Mm -hmm. um, you have to wait quite a long time to do that, or you can go privately, but then the pro the prices increase a lot. So, I think that's one. So we're talking about like the timing and all this stuff. That's a massive implication for how they're going to rehab their patients. I think secondarily, I don't think they see uh, um, the frequency of visit that we do with our with our patients a lot of education um it's a lot it's like a lot of education it's a lot of one time a week a lot of like two times a week at, at max i don't think their insurance because it's so broad of everyone allows for the benefits that our private payer insurance is doing and that's not a plug for our private payer insurance um at all but um because our premiums are 30 times the cost yeah. of what it is to, yep. to live in in australia and then i think the last point of this is the access to the type of patient that that they're treating so i think we're really really fortunate to have a college-based um, sports system here which results in a massive amount of acl tests for one but competitive athletes and that that are willing to come in four or five days a week you know that want to that want to do that so i think we get I, we get a lot of our reps and there are a lot of sports PT businesses in the field. So there are some really awesome um, sports physios in Australia. They're, they're amazing and, and the top of their class. And, and I would and I argue also like the, the best in the world, but I think it's just a smaller pocket of the ability to be able to work with like those, that caliber of an athlete on a day in day out basis. So um, I've heard that as, you know, as, as a feedback too. I think too, they only really do hamstring recons hmm. there for the most part so they're they're rehabbing a little bit of a different acl than what what we're used to yeah more often than not but very interesting um, conceptually i think their strength and conditioning is unbelievable yeah you know i think from a research standpoint they're also like you know batting well above their weight in terms of the size of their you know the country and you know the, the dollars and cents are able to like put into to research and things like that you know and the quality of the pts is really good I think we're just favorable. It's favorable to be here to do it because it's just so much more, more access. Like just see, Interesting. I never would have imagined being able to treat 10 lacrosse ACLs in a row in a day. Yeah. And I do that a lot. Yeah. I do it a lot. Yeah. That, that's pretty wild to think about. I mean, what I learned from like my sport and society class in my undergraduate uh, studies was, was how active the Australian population is. There is a tremendous amount of sport, mm -hmm. Um, I think the the color you give behind socialized medicine and how that dictates their interventions um, is is really interesting. It's worth studying. Um, <clears throat> well, <clears throat> what was the toughest question on your citizenship test? 
I already blocked that out of my mind. Come on. I got super lucky and three of the responses that I out of the six that I had that I got all right. Oh yeah. Um were the president was the response. So just the president. That, that was the that was the response. I almost started second guessing myself. Like this How is, can this is, a, this is a what'd you get question. on that test? Six out of six. It's six questions. So yeah. So I think and um I might be um saying that there's a total number of questions that that they can pick from. I want to say it's like uh, in between 100 and 200 questions and so basically like if you can go ahead and learn or rope learn yeah. all of them the yeah. response flashcards like being back in anatomy class, did you do that 100 you sat there with less and you went over flashcards 100 percent. did she know the all the answers she she actually was very 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 good at um at, at them without looking and then she has just an incredible like ability to to read and digest information and like pick it up the first time so like i'm sitting here like an idiot like looking at yeah. the same yeah. five cards that i keep getting wrong yeah just again you know look right turn it down repeat it's just one time that's every amazing. time she can kind of get that stuff yeah. so my wife's the same way which is why she was my tutor in undergrad yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. Just, that's yeah, pretty wild exactly. um <clears throat> okay how do you feel about sci-fi movies terrible you feel terrible about them? Yeah, I'm. I'm more into the. Um, <clears throat> I'm more into the, the the dark darkness and the it's really sick. of serial Tim, killers. You I like serial killers? Kind of stuff. I hate fantasy. Um, I think this is a running joke within our clinics. Lord of the Rings? Aren't you a big dragons, Lord of the Rings guy? I hate fairies. I hate. You wizards, just hate fun. Emperors. No, I'm like bring me back to the real world. Bring you back to the real world. Okay, I learned a lot about knee extension, and about timmy stone so i appreciate you sharing um i know it's one of your favorite topics talking about tim stone um thank you so much for joining us on this true sports physical therapy podcast thanks for telling me about extension and how important it is um just remind us where we can find you on instagram yeah so my instagram handle is dr.stone.pbt um feel free to reach out to me there for sure like I, i'm definitely good at replying to dms i don't get that many <laughs> nah, uh, or you now you do or you can email me at tim at truesportspt.com. Um, I'd be happy to email or, or even better, if you want to jump on a call with me, just shoot me an email and I'm, I'm happy to pick up the phone and, and do that it's a little bit quicker. So Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks for making yourself available for that. And then you tell us about the course that you're just about to launch. Yeah, so we're just launching our um, True Sports Guide to ACL course. Um, we spent the best part of of a year you know probably probably more but uh, a year of producing and then halfway through kind of reproducing to, to make it much better but we're i'm super proud of it um you know we i was really excited to get to collaborate with you um on this call so it's kind of you know putting both of our brains together and putting a really simplified version that is really easy to follow along with um and you know plug and play in a sense but also allow our pts to to grab information and use it from a principal standpoint so you don't have to plug and play so much yeah. um but I'm you know really excited and really proud about um that coming out right here soon awesome and and it's super real world it's it's really based in the clinic where you can use these strategies it's not esoteric it's exactly what's applicable and that's what we wanted to to produce and you did an awesome job of that so check that out <clears throat> download that learn that get better at it and let us know how we can get better at providing you the true sports family awesome information so that you can get your athletes better 
quicker, faster, and stronger. As always, thank you so much for listening. You can reach us at True Sports PT on Instagram. I'm Yoni, Yoni at TrueSportsPT.com. You can reach out to me for anything and everything. We love all the feedback we're getting. Um, thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you soon.